Um, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Jenna, uh, at the beginning of her sermon, mentioned that uh, the, the Hebrew word ruach, which means wind or breath. So, and if you go into the New Testament, it's sort of the same. The, the word wind and breath and spirit are all kind of interconnected. And I find that a very apt way to think of the spirit in this way. It's because the spirit, the, the wind is not something you can see. You can only know it's windy by the effect it has on other things or other people. You know, the trees are bending, the flags are flapping, the sails in the sailboat are full of the wind and they're moving. People are clutching their hats because it's windy. And so, in the same way, we don't so much see the Spirit the way people saw Jesus in the flesh, but we see him from the effect he has on people. And uh, Jen has kind of set up a 12-week a series of messages on the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's going to be divided among a number of different pastors. But this will be the first one since Pentecost in that series. And I'm going to have a few verses from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and then a few from chapter 16. And these... Um, when we read those verses, we are not in the days after Pentecost, we are in the days before. And in, the, in these chapters, in these chapters, the Spirit is not so much a presence as a promise. And Jesus is talking with his disciples, promising them that the Spirit will come. And there's different names that they use for him in different translations too. Sometimes the Comforter, sometimes the Counselor, sometimes the Advocate. And so you'll hear those terms as we go through. So let me begin with chapter 14, and I'll start at verse 23 and go to 27. Uh, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And then uh, several more from the chapter 16, and we'll spend a bit more time with these verses than the... I wonder if that would help. Okay, a couple of verses from chapter 16, 12 to 15. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So, words from Jesus. This is the word of God. You know, many years ago, I was a, um, a student pastor in uh, Ontario. 
And uh, I had a fascinating conversation with uh, an elder from our church. Now, for this elder, his day job was, uh, he worked in the building supply business, and his kind of area of specialization was, uh, was bricks. Now, if you've ever been to Ontario and just been around, you'll know that um, in housing, they use uh, bricks a lot more to finish the buildings than we do here. They, they really, you find, oh, it's striking when you go, how many buildings have you know, brick finish. And that means there's a lot of bricks being sold. You know, a good-sized two-story house might use maybe 25 skids, which would be somewhere between 10 and 15,000 bricks. So that's a big industry. And most cities in the kind of that industrial ring around the city will have a, several brickyards. Now, the elder from this church was a salesman. Uh, he would meet with contractors uh, who were looking for supply. And uh, I always kind of assumed that, you know, when you went to buy a skid of bricks, it'd have a price tag on it, like, you know, a you know, jug of milk or something like that. You just pay the price. But apparently not. Apparently there's a certain amount of negotiation going on. And I remember the salesman saying that he was often able to close a deal with nothing more than a handshake. So we don't need all that paperwork because I can trust these people. They won't let me down. Their word is their bond. I know them. Now that conversation happened a good 40 years ago in Ontario in the early 1980s. And Ontario in the 1980, early 1980s was actually going through a major housing bust. I mean, there was a, in the new built housing market, there was a, a big oversupply and not enough buyers. And some contractors were ending up with rows of houses they, they couldn't sell. And, and yet in the middle of that big net mess, some people were still able to do a deal with nothing more than a handshake. Now, I can't say if that still happens now. I can imagine some younger developers and younger salesmen saying the way those old guys did business was insane. They're lucky they didn't get hosed and bankrupted. From now on, we do everything with contracts that are signed and enforceable. You know, but maybe not. Maybe there still are people who can... Finish a deal with nothing more than words of honor and a handshake. But that would have to be between people who know each other. And, and that's the thing. You know, two people can do that old school deal on a handshake if they know each other well. If they know each other well enough and long enough to trust each other. You, you could say that they need that deep personal connection that creates trust. You, you know their character. You know their integrity. You know their, their trustworthiness. You have seen it operating before, and you know it will still operate going forward. Now, I mention all this because in our reading, Jesus tells us that 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will help us to know Him in know Him more in a in a fuller and deeper way. And, and they're going to need that fuller and deeper way of knowing Him when they go out into the world to be the voice of Jesus and the hands of Jesus. I mean, the world won't always be friendly to their message, and they have to believe it, believe it fully, and trust it. Now, our two little readings come from a, a part of John's Gospel. Uh, biblical scholars typically, usually call it the farewell discourse. Um, we could also call it Jesus' goodbye speech. So he, we are just in the last days before Jesus is arrested, the last hours. Um, Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus has uh, predicted that Judas would betray him. He's predicted that Peter would deny him. And he's told them repeatedly that, that he's going away. That he will be returning to the Father. That in a little while, they will see him no more. And the disciples aren't happy about that, not at all. I mean, their ship will have no captain. Their team will have no leader. You know, I can imagine them looking around in the room, wondering who is going to take his place. I mean, it's not going to be Judas, that's for sure. And it can't really be Peter either. What about any of the others? No, they don't want Jesus to go. Can't we just keep him for, well, for a long, long time? And, and so to encourage them, Jesus makes a promise that, that a comforter, a counselor, an advocate, the Holy Spirit will come to them. So Jesus will be absent in his person, but he will be present through the Holy Spirit. So let's listen to Jesus as well. This is from chapter 16. Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than I can bear, but when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, just a quick note here. Um, if we read those words in a kind of careless way, kind of pull them out of their context, we can decide that Jesus is promising us to know everything about everything. Right? That's what all things means, right? We'll know more than than Wikipedia, because the Spirit guides us into all the truth. You know, we'll know medicine, more medicine than doctors, more engineering than engineers, know more finance than business people with MBAs, more of everything. But, but that's not Jesus' point, obviously. There is no substitute for the slow, patient way of gaining knowledge. Ron, in his prayer, mentioned that the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church is meeting currently. Started at the end of last week, it'll go into this week. Now, this is the first Synod in three years, and so there is a big backlog of unfinished business. I um, have a copy of the agenda at home. It is 700 pages long. 
And I don't mean 700 pages like a beach book, 700 pages. It is full of crowded print, and some parts of it have footnotes and even finer print. It's a huge document. There are reports that the longest report in that agenda is something called the Human Sexuality Report. I'm sure many of you have heard about it. You're familiar with it. It's 175 pages long. And then there are 160 pages of responses to that report. Some are favorable, some take issue with the report. So it's, there's a whole lot there. And the delegates will have to read it all. They have to read it all if they are going to cast a responsible vote. I can imagine some delegate looking at that huge book and saying, why do I have to read all that? I could just pray for the guiding of the Holy Spirit and he will lead me into all the truth. It'll save me a lot of time. But that's not how sin would work and that's not how the Bible works either. I mean, you can pray for the Spirit's guiding for sure. And that synod, I know, there is an awful lot of prayer happening. This, this synod will be soaked in prayer. But there is no shortcut around the slow and patient study of the Bible. But enough on that. Let, let's listen again to Jesus. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And then Jesus pretty much repeats that line verbatim, which is a way of saying that this is really important. You know, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So, the Spirit will help you know Jesus in that deeper, richer way. You will know him to be faithful to you, to be trustworthy. And then, as the um, musical Godspell once said, you will see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly, day by day. You know, when I was still teaching um, church school or catechism classes years ago, I would sometimes ask, why do we worship Jesus rather than somebody else, some other great leader in religion or in world events? Why him instead of some other, you know, very good person? So why, for instance, don't we worship uh, St. Francis? He came from the Middle Ages, and he had this incredible reputation for, for kindness. They said he was so kind that wild rabbits would run to him for protection. He would preach to the birds of the air and tell them to thank the Creator for their, their lovely voices. Francis was a very saintly person. We admire him. But we don't worship him. Why not? Or what about, say, Gandhi? Gandhi was the father of modern India. He led it out of the colonial period into independence. He was a very 
astute politician, but he was also as simple and as gentle as a saint. Now, he was a Hindu. He's not a Christian. But he lived by the lessons of the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, especially Jesus' lesson on nonviolence. He was one of the greats of history. But we don't worship him. What about Mother Teresa, who spent her life working among the poorest of the poor in Calcutta? Or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, who was hanged for his resistance to Hitler and the Nazis? What about Nelson Mandela, who fought apartheid in Africa? He spent 27 years in prison and then came out with no bitterness and, and worked to heal the wounds of his country. These are all people who deserve our deepest respect. They are, they are lessons in moral leadership. To be honest, they humble me. But we don't worship them. And we do worship Jesus. Why? Well, in the Christian tradition, there are three reasons that stand out. And they are, and they are of course, rooted in the biblical story of Jesus. And each one is kind of connected to a, a major Christian holiday. One to Christmas, another to Good Friday, and then to Easter. At Christmas, we remember, as John says in his gospel, that the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. So this baby was born in Bethlehem. His mother wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. I mean, it was a birth like so many others, maybe a little poorer than the average. And yet, there was no birth like that ever before and will never happen again. This, in Jesus, God himself, the Word of God and the Son of God was taking on human life, human bone and flesh and hunger and need. You know, the book of Hebrews says that God, had, Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way. And that's what happened when Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's the Christmas miracle. On Good Friday... We remember, as John also said in his gospel, that Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Son of God was arrested. He was put through a, a sham trial, and he was executed between two criminals. It had a, a real stench of, of sort of dirty politics and dirty religion. But below that, something much deeper was happening. Something that had been promised by the prophets. Jesus was taking the guilt of others, the guilt of all God's children, and making it his own and paying the price for it. Isaiah said he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows and suffered the punishment that is our peace. That's what happened when Jesus suffered and died. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the, the iniquity, the wrongs of us all. Think of that song by Michael W. Smith, Above All. I think the second sentence, Crucified. 
laid behind a stone. You lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall. That's Good Friday. And then the third holiday is Easter. We remember the empty grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was alive, and alive in the life of the new creation. It's the great miracle. As Paul the Apostle said, everything depends on this. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, then you know, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. But Christ has been raised and death will never touch him again. And if you trust in him, death doesn't have to frighten you either. Now, seminaries and colleges will have three textbook names for those three wonderful stories. The Christmas story is called the Incarnation. Jesus took on our flesh. Incarnate means in the flesh. Good Friday, the miracle is called the Atonement. Jesus suffered our punishment. And Easter is about a resurrection. Jesus was raised in the life of the world to come. The first fruit of a new creation. The sign of things to come. And so that's what a church school, a catechism class, will learn about Jesus and about the Christian calendar. But obviously this has to become more than just information. You have to know this deeply. It has to become real. You have to know it so deeply and in such a real way that it becomes faith and hope and love. You have to know this in a way that changes you. And that brings us to the fourth Christian holiday, Pentecost. Pentecost is about that mighty rushing wind and the flames of fire and disciples suddenly able to tell about the wonders of God in the languages of the world. And even more, they have courage. Courage to go into the world with fire in their hearts. And why? Because the, through the Spirit, they know Jesus in that biblical way of knowing. He may be gone, but through the Spirit, he is very near. And they're not afraid anymore to tell his story. I once read, and um, I can't remember where, but I read someone explain why he came to, to trust and fully accept the Christian faith. And he went back to the beginning, and he compared the days um, be just after the crucifixion to the days after Pentecost. And he said the difference between those followers of Jesus just after the crucifixion and then after Pentecost, the difference was so massive that he had to believe that something was there. With the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples were, were scattered in hiding. They were afraid. Judas was so filled with shame that he went out and hanged himself. 
Peter was filled with shame because he had betrayed Jesus three times, just as Jesus had said. And then he heard the rooster crowing. And then the days of, that followed, the sound of that rooster kept echoing in his ears. And every time he felt a new wave of shame. And the rest of the disciples, they had run away at the first sign of danger. And in, in the days after Pentecost, the disciples were unashamed. They were unafraid. And that change, that transformation, it means that there has to be something to this thing we call Christianity. So what happened? Well, in the first place, Easter happened. Jesus appeared to them. He was there. He was alive. But somehow he was different. They could still see the scars in his hand and the wound in his side. But he was also very different. It's, it's like he'd come almost Narnia-like. You know, if you know those books, they go into a new world. It's like Jesus had come Narnia-like out of the life of the world to come into this one. And then just before he left, after those wonderful 40 days, he told them to wait in Jerusalem, to wait and to pray for the one that he had promised. So they waited and they prayed until they heard that mighty rushing wind. And then they knew, they really knew the presence and the power of Jesus. Now you can pray for that too. You can pray that you will know Jesus deeply and that knowing him will change you. Pray that the Spirit will save you from doubt, from fear, from selfishness. That he will clothe you with compassion and kindness and gentleness and meekness and patience. Pray that he will help you understand that you are loved. Pray that he will teach you how to love. Pray that he will give you a new beginning and a new heart and a new purpose. And in the end, when your life is ebbing away, when your time here has become short, pray that you will trust Jesus to take you to himself. Because in the spirit of Jesus, you can trust that he is always near, that he, that he will keep you forever safe, forever blessed. So let me finish with these words of Jesus. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So pray for the Spirit to come near so that you will know Jesus and be untroubled and unafraid. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, your spirit came down to your followers and they were changed. And they were changed in a way that helped them to know you more deeply than they'd ever known before. And we pray, Lord, send that spirit into this place, into our hearts, so that we can know him as well, deeply and fully, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.